Well, hi, welcome to the Christian Contrast podcast, where we talk about how walking with Jesus leads us to live differently than the world around us. And as I'm recording this, we're into mid, late May. There's a lot going on with the end of the school year. And so I wanted to share something that's just been on my heart and maybe will apply to a bunch of you reading. Maybe it'll apply to somebody in your family. And so I'm, I'm calling this episode God's Wisdom for Grads. Uh, now, the wisdom that we're going to look at here in a section of Proverbs, it certainly is not just wisdom for high school or college graduates right now. It's, it's wisdom for all of us in the broad sense because it's God's word and it's from Proverbs. Um, but it's even more near, narrowly geared towards wisdom for young people, which all of Proverbs is this way. All of Proverbs is written primarily to young people, but especially the first nine chapters are really focused on Solomon talking to his son about wisdom. And so Proverbs chapter three, verses one through 12 is a section um, where, where the passage is more connected within itself. If you're familiar with Proverbs, you know, later on in Proverbs, it's just sort of like every verse is its own proverb. But Proverbs 3, 1 through 12 is more of a continuous section of Solomon passing along God's wisdom to his son. And so if you are a graduate or a young person, this is a passage that is aimed squarely at you, giving you God's wisdom for where this is at. And if you're a parent or a grandparent or a sibling and you feel like, hey, there, there's somebody that I want to share this with because this is great wisdom from God, six pieces of great wisdom from God for young people looking to make wise decisions and looking to make godly decisions and going out into the world. So I'll read through this, but the way that this passage functions is really two verses per source of wisdom per uh, uh, part of wisdom. And so 12 verses, six statements of wisdom, I'll sum each of them up and then just sort of walk through the passage. And so the first piece of God's wisdom for you, if you're old, if you're young, if you're a graduate, especially if you're young or if you're a graduate, is listen to older people. So here's what verses one and two say. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. And so Solomon passing along just the wisdom and guidance that will bring fruitfulness later in life. It's not a 100% guarantee of long life and prosperity, but it, it is this idea that if you live this way, this is what you're setting yourself up for. You're setting yourself up for a life that is going to be more prosperous, that is going to be more fruitful, that is going to be more joyful, and is going to be more peace-filled. And he says, listen to my words, keep my words, keep my wisdom close to you. And so one of the things that goes on, especially if you're graduating high school, or maybe even if you're graduating from college, there is this sense of being at least much less under the guidance and direction of your parents, and maybe completely outside of the guidance and direction of your parents. And there's something appropriate about that transition, about saying, all right, you're, you're going to be making decisions that are more your decisions that you're going to be owning, um, you still may be financially dependent on your parents in some ways. If you're a high school graduate, you probably still are financially dependent on your parents. But there's more of the idea of taking ownership of your own life. And there's even an appropriate sense of saying, at the very least, you start to, in your mind, challenge or question different things that were just assumptions um, from your parents or different things that were passed along from your parents that you didn't really have much choice about while you were living within their home under their full direction and discipline and guidance, that now you get to make more decisions about this. And so within that, Solomon passes along the wisdom of listen to older people. 
Now, I don't think that this means that this is just an automatic, hey, you listen to everything that older people say, you never question it, and you never end up disagreeing. But there is a great guidance in saying, as you're looking to figure life out, as you're saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to try to figure out what life is all about and what are good and wise decisions and what's true and what's not true, it, it would be foolish to ignore those who are older, who have been around longer, and who have been through things that you haven't been through. Um, G.K. Chesterton, uh, the, the author who wrote a lot of books at the beginning of the 20th century, um, has an analogy that has to do with two different people who find a fence in the middle of a field and how you react to it and talks about the idea that one person finds the fence and says, I don't know why this fence is here. I can't think of any reason why this fence is here. I'm taking the fence down. And another person who goes into the middle of the field and finds the fence there and says, um, I don't know why this fence is here. I can't figure out a reason why this fence is here. So I better, better figure out why this fence was put up before I take it down. Um, and the second is much wiser. It's not the idea that you would never reach a point where you say, oh, this fence was put up a long time ago. It's no longer serving a purpose. I'm going to go ahead and take it down. Sometimes you would do that. But just to assume that my reaction to this must be right is unwise. Things are the way they are and norms are the way they are for a reason. And that doesn't always mean that it's a good reason. Sometimes those norms do need to be broken down. They need to be challenged. They need to be changed. But a wise person tries to figure out why are things the way? Why is this conventional wisdom? Why is this the way that things were done? And why is this the way that things are done right now? So that if you decide, all right, I'm going to buck against this, or I'm going to disagree, or I'm going to go my own way with this, you at least have taken in the wisdom and the guidance from those who've gone before you. You've taken in not only what they do, but why they've done what they've done so that you can have the full amount of information as you move forward in this. So listen to older people doesn't mean you can never disagree, you can never depart from it, that you've always got to do what your parents think all the time. It's, it's not what that means at all. What it does mean instead is take into consideration, listen to the wisdom of those who have gone before you as you're looking to form your grid for reality. So piece of wisdom, number one, listen to older people. Piece of wisdom number two is be true to what you say. Verses three and four. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So once again, e each of these Proverbs has sort of the the statement of what you should do, and then a promise of what's going to come from it. So in verse four, the promise about the whole idea that you're gaining favor in the sight of God, which is most important, and also in the sight of other people. And what he goes back to is the idea of being true to your word, being true to what you say that you're going to do. Um, he talks about letting love and faithfulness never leave you. Um, love frequently, we, we think of love typically as, as a more kind of... Um, idea that has to do with our affections and our emotions. Love frequently in the Old Testament has to do with the idea of covenant loyalty, sort of like a promise was made. God's love to us is so secure because we know that he's made promises and he's going to be true to those promises. And the idea of faithfulness, which he also mentions, is the same sort of idea. It's the idea of trustworthiness and it's the idea of keeping your word. This is one of the most vital things that you can do if you're any person, but if you're a young person starting to establish yourself in the world is to say, I'm going to be true to what I say I'm going to do. Now, sometimes that means you need to not overpromise. 
You need to not go around constantly saying that you're going to fulfill obligations that later on you're going to recognize you're just not capable of doing. And this also doesn't mean that there aren't times where sometimes you say you're going to do something, new things come come along, and you need to sort of apologetically say, I'm not going to be able to do that thing that I said I was going to do. I'm so sorry about that. But those are meant to be the outliers. Those are meant to be the exceptions. Instead, we keep our word. We stay true to what we say that we're going to do. Because that's not only a reflection of God, that's a great benefit to other people. You want to be somebody who's trustworthy. You want to be somebody who others can count on. And if you do end up getting married, which if you're a young person, I hope that a lot of you do end up getting married. If you do end up getting married, faithfulness now to doing what you said that you're going to do is going to be practiced for faithfulness later on within marriage, where you make vows. You make promises, and then later on in marriage, if your marriage is like every marriage that has happened, there are going to be times where you're going to want to bail on those promises, whether you're specifically going to want to pursue divorce or if you're just going to want to say, you know, I'm no longer going to fulfill my vows actively. I'm just sort of taking a more passive idea here because my spouse is not living up to their end of the bargain. You want to practice being true to what you say you're going to do. God is faithful God keeps all of his promises. As we move out into the world, hugely important piece of wisdom, be true to what you say you're going to do. Piece of wisdom number three is in verses five and six, and it's assume that God is smarter than you are. So here's what we read. These are the most famous verses in this passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. And so the reward there is right at the end, making your paths straight, which if you've gone on a hike and you know it's a really rocky terrain and it's really difficult to navigate, you can get there, but it's frustrating. Whereas if you're on a smooth, paved path, that's much easier to walk on. He's saying you're going to be on a straighter, more paved path if you Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding and in all your ways, submit to him. And the whole don't lean on your own understanding to to me is maybe the most provocative statement in this whole idea, because it's talking about the idea that we do have to lean on some sense of understanding. You, You need to lean on something that's solid. That's why we sometimes relate the idea of faith to sitting in a chair and the idea of Can the chair hold me? Is the chair solid enough to hold me up? The idea that there's going to be some wisdom that we have to lean on, that we have to say, this is solid, this is dependable, I'm going to lean on this, I'm going to trust in this as I move forward in my life. And what Solomon says is, don't trust your own wisdom. Trust in God's wisdom. Lean on Him in all different ways. Um, This is not only maybe the most important thing in this passage, but this is one of the most key things about living a life before God is the idea that we trust him. We believe that he's actually smarter than we are. And what I'm about to say is important. There will be times where you feel almost convinced that you are smarter than God. And what I mean is not that you're going to literally say to yourself, I'm smarter than God but that you're gonna encounter something in God's word, it's not gonna make a lot of sense to you, it's not gonna seem like the right way to believe or the right way to act or the wisest way to live a full life, and you're gonna think that you have a smarter path, you're gonna think that you have a better idea than obedience to God within that. 
this is the point where faith truly comes in, where we're looking at the fact that we're dealing with the creator of heaven and earth. We are dealing with the all-wise God, and we're also dealing with the God who loved us enough to send his son for us, to rescue us while we were sinners. That's the God on whose wisdom we are leaning. And so if you're out there and you're starting to question things, if you're, if you're starting to question, as I presume most young people are going to at some point have to question the Bible's teaching on sort of gender and sexuality, just because it's become so countercultural. It didn't, it didn't used to be as countercultural as it is right now. But man, if you're a young person living in the cultural norms that we are now, at some point you're going to run into that. And, and maybe you're still at a point that you're saying, no, I, I really buy into what the Bible says. I'm just going to say, probably at some point, you're, you're going to have to stare into the face of what our culture says and decide, do you really believe God over that? Because there will be times where what our culture says feels smarter and feels more true than what you're experiencing in the Bible. Lean on his understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Assume that God is smarter than you are. Piece of wisdom number four is in verses uh, seven and eight, and this is take God seriously. This is actually similar in some ways to the third piece of wisdom, which is assume that God is smarter than you are, but take God seriously. Verses seven and eight, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So take God seriously comes from the command to fear the Lord. Uh, this part of the passage begins with the idea of don't be wise in your own eyes. That traces right back to the previous one. Don't assume that you are smarter than God. God is smarter than you are. But then he talks about fearing the Lord. And people debate a, a lot on wh what exactly does this mean. I feel like the thing that everybody wants to say whenever we get to a passage about the fear of God is that they say it doesn't mean actually being afraid. And I always like to say it's more than just being afraid, but it's not less than being afraid. There is an appropriate sense in which we should actually be afraid when we think of God, just in the sense that we take him seriously, that we say, I don't want to be on the wrong side of God. Are you kidding me? That's crazy talk. So there is at least some form of appropriate fear in the way that we think of it, whether it's fear that we'll be disciplined by God and who wants that, or fear that I'll end up with negative consequences in my life. There is an appropriate fear in the way that we typically think of fear. But in the broader sense, I think the best way that we can understand the idea of the fear of the Lord is that we take God seriously. We treat him as if he's serious and not if he's just given us random suggestions that we can take or leave. We take God seriously, but the fear of the Lord is meant to draw us closer to God, not further away from God, that we would draw near to him, that we would take him so seriously that we would draw near to him, recognizing that while God is strong and all powerful and all wise and lofty and majestic, that he's also the one who dwells with the lowly. We come near to God through our fear of him, and we take him seriously, more seriously than any other reality in life. And so this has to do not only with the choices that we're making, where it's like, all right, people around me are drinking, or people around me are hooking up, or people around me are just sort of frittering away their lives by indulging their appetites however they want, and I'm not going to do that because I take God seriously. 
but also in greater, more positive ways where you're saying, well, the way that I'm setting up my life, the kinds of things that I'm pursuing, I'm taking God seriously as the most important factor and the most important reality in what I'm doing. Fear the Lord, take him seriously. All right, fifth piece of wisdom is in verses 9 and 10, and this is honor God with your money. Verses 9 and 10 say, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So this one is a bit more on the nose. Honor God with your money. He uses the word first fruits um, when he talks about the first fruits of all of your crops. And if you know some about the Old Testament, you know that this was a literal practice in Israel where, where when the first uh, sort of installment of the harvest came in, those were crops that they would bring as an offering to God, and they would sacrifice that, trusting that God is going to bring in the rest. And there's a really cool faith element to this, because the rest of the harvest hasn't yet come in. So when you're sacrificing the first fruits, that's a big deal. That's trusting that God is going to supply the rest when he hasn't yet supplied the rest. This is a beautiful principle in this, but there's also something important that we need to recognize when we talk about honoring God with our wealth. Um, the Israelites gave of the first fruits not only to give part of what they had, but to symbolically recognize that everything that they had belonged to God. Um, and some of you, you, you may have grown up in settings where it's like, all right, we, we give 10% to the church. Given 10% to the church is great. It's a wonderful thing to do. Um, but what we can accidentally get into is the idea that 10% belongs to God, 90% belongs to me. That's not the case with our wealth and with our money and with our possessions. The deal is it all belongs to God. It's all a gift from God. So we look to honor him with everything that we do. And that doesn't mean that there's no fun. That, that doesn't mean that there's not joys that God has given us the, the ability to have access to, whether it's great meals or going to see movies or going to do fun things with friends. It's not the idea that there's no joy to be had in just those basic pleasures of life but it's the idea that we're thinking about our wealth in terms of this belongs to God and it's given to me on trust. Um, and here's why this is so vital. Probably right now, you don't have a lot of money. And so probably right now, it could be very tempting to say, when I get older and when I start making more money, that's when I'll start habits of giving to my local church and trying to give generously to other people. Uh, I wanna say, please, please, please start now. Start now, even if you're like, all right, giving a little bit of what I have is, is so embarrassingly low that, that I'm almost embarrassed to, to sort of uh, go online and give this or to put this in the offering box. Giving now is training for giving later. There's a lot of people who think that they're gonna give when they have enough, and man, that money just gets eaten up by all kinds of other things. Start the habit of now. This is one of the things I'm so thankful that me and Karina both did before we even knew each other, that we were regularly giving off the very little bit that we were making as college students. And then after that, when we first got married, we were not rolling in money, but we were regularly giving. We chose to give 10%. It was really beneficial. It made it something where we were able to honor God with what we had at a young age and then roll into that when we were at a point where we were making a little bit more and making enough that our giving felt like it was making more of a difference in things. Um, don't start later, start now. 
Honor the Lord with your wealth. Recognize that it's given to him. And the promise that he gives here in verse 10, when he says, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. This is, once again, this is not a 100% promise here. But there is a principle of something that God often does, which is that when we're faithful with a little, God entrusts us with more. And so the idea here is, if you're being faithful with the money that God has given you now, God is likely to entrust you with more money because you've been faithful with the money he's already entrusted you with. And then when you get more money, you honor the Lord with that money. So honor the Lord with your money. And finally, the sixth piece of wisdom that's in verses 11 and 12 is, learn to love God's discipline. Verses 11 and 12 say, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Um, and some of you, again, if, if you're at the point that you're like, I'm out of high school, I'm out of college, I'm less under my parents' authority, there might be this sense of joy that you're experiencing right now where you're like, there's things that my parents made me do. I don't have to do those things anymore. I get to make my own choices. I, I get to sort of be out from under that authority. And that may feel really good and maybe legitimately in some ways. Maybe there are some things that your parents have had you do that you're like, it, it's just going to be great to never have to deal with that anymore. I think it's striking that at a point where Solomon is talking to his son, and in some ways is almost talking to his son about launching out into the world, he talks to him about the Lord's discipline and relates it to a parent's discipline. Now, part of this that's really important for us to talk about anytime we talk about the Lord's discipline is that we can automatically translate that into punishment, sort of like we, we think of discipline like, I did something wrong, my parents punished me for it. Punishment is one aspect of discipline. It's not the whole deal. Sometimes we do something wrong and God does discipline us or punish us for it in some way in order to correct our behavior. But correcting our behavior is the bigger part of it. It's not punishment for the sake of punishment. It's punishment for the sake of correction. And then also discipline is much broader than just punishment. A coach looks to have disciplined players. And the discipline is not just about punishing them if they don't act correctly, but about training them, training them to make good decisions in the moment, training their bodies to be able to do the different things that they'll be able to do. Discipline has to do with training, not just punishment. And the beauty of this is that Solomon is saying sort of welcome this, em embrace this, learn to love when God is disciplining you because it means that he does love you. It means that he's paying enough attention to you. He's not ignoring you. The author of Hebrews talks about the same concept later on the, in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 12 um, and talks about the idea that if you're not disciplined by God, that means you're not his child because a good father disciplines his children because he cares about them. And so there's even a sense in which if you do some things, you end up experiencing negative consequences or you just end up experiencing some sort of guilt over that and you're like, ah, oh, this is unpleasant. God's really disciplining me right now. Please take that to, to realize God cares enough about you to pay attention to you. He cares enough about you not to leave you as you are. And in the same way that a coach of a sports team might pay special attention to the best players because those are the players he's really going to get on their case because they're capable of more. If God is paying enough attention to you to discipline you, that means that he's got great plans for you. So learn to love God's discipline. Learn to lean in when God is disciplining you. 
don't miss the lessons that he has to give you through that discipline. Because even though all of us at some point in time get out from under the discipline of our parents, we don't get out from under the discipline of the Lord. And thank God for that, because he cares enough about us not to leave us as we are, but to shape us into who we're meant to be. The wisdom in Proverbs 3 is great for everyone. If you're 70 years old, this is still good for you. But man, especially if you're a young person, if you're getting ready to graduate high school, if you're getting ready to graduate college, Proverbs 3 is just a treasure trove of God's wisdom for us. Walking through these life lessons about how we successfully launch into life with God being at the center of our lives. And as you move into this, living with the wisdom that's in here, it will make your life a contrast from those around you. And that not only will spare you of pain, but that'll set you up to be a light for Jesus wherever you are. Well, I hope this is helpful, whether you're a grad or you're not a grad, or you have a kid who's a grad, or you're not connected to anybody who's a grad. I hope that this is helpful as God's wisdom, especially to young people through Proverbs. Um, we do episodes of The Christian Contrast every two weeks. And so uh, if you're looking for other episodes of this to look at, you can go on our website, lbf.church, and you can find past episodes of The Christian Contrast. Or you can go to our YouTube channel, Life Bible Fellowship Church YouTube channel, um, and you can find past episodes also. If there's something that you have to say in response to this episode, I'd love to interact with you on it. You can leave a comment on the YouTube video. Um, and we also welcome comments on all of our videos. So if you go back and find another one and you want to interact, I try to check those so that I can interact with those of you who have given comments or given feedback or questions on that. So we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. God bless you.